Come on, come on. Somebody get excited this morning. Woo! I love you too. Um, there's a mess up here. Come on, Frank. What are you doing? Kid night. That's why we can't have nice things around here. Hey, I, I'm excited to dive into uh, this morning with you as we, uh, as we talk and continue on in, uh, in our, our topic that your students, student pastors have given us to, uh, to unpack and discuss this week, the, the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and before we get to new material this morning, which I know you all are excited and, and, and on the edge of your seat and ready to dive in this morning, I want to make sure that the groundwork, the groundwork has officially been laid and you understand why we are spending three sessions unpacking this doctrine called the Trinity. Yesterday, last night, we began our time, and I want to begin it again with this famous quote from A.W. Tozer that says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I told you just to kind of think through that, take a picture of it, jot it down, that what comes into your mind and my mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the reason why we said that's significant is because every single person in this room, you have a mental image, a go-to image of what you think God is like. And Tozer goes on to say in this quote that, that, that you know, what we think about God is the most important thing in our lives is that you and I, because we have been created in the image of God, you and I, we have a natural tendency of the soul to drift toward that image. Meaning this, that, that, that your view of God literally is the most important thing about you because you will, listen to me this morning, I know it's early, some of you got like 30 minutes of sleep last night. Yes, I hear you. Take a nap this afternoon. Because you will resemble what you worship. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm laying some good stuff down already. You will resemble what you worship, that will come out in your life. That's why a right view of God, a correct view of God changes everything in your life. Your knowledge of God is the core shaping influence in your life. And so he said, he said last night, man, that it's important. It's important for you to have a correct view of God. And how important? Last night, oh my goodness, we talked about the fatherhood of God. That God is not a distant, far-off God who doesn't care about you. That God is not an angry, judgmental tyrant out to get you. God is not some kind of insignificant, you know, I don't care, you just figure it out on your own. That our God, we looked at this last night, our God is a loving powerful, wise, caring Heavenly Father who is absolutely crazy about you, that He loves you. How would that view of your Heavenly Father change the way you live your life? 
So while we're unpacking this doctrine of the Trinity. And so just kind of some, some, some foundation before we get to new material today. We, we said that, that for our discussion this weekend, we wanted to look at the biblical concept uh, uh, that our God is a triune God. Meaning this, meaning this, and this I said this is your definition for the weekend. That when it comes to the Trinity, it means this, that there is one God who has eternally existed in three persons. And those three persons, we said, are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. And even though you're not going to find that word Trinity in the Bible, the concept is all throughout Scripture. So one of the, uh, the places that we went to yesterday was the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus rolled up uh, by the Jordan River, and John the Baptist was there, and John baptized Jesus. And we see this in Mark chapter 9, or Mark chapter 1, verse 9. All three present at the baptism of Jesus. And so he said this, he said, In those days Jesus, there's God the Son, came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And so what we said right there is right there, even though the word Trinity is not in the Bible, right there you see all three present at the baptism of Jesus. That God the Son, Jesus, is the one being baptized. You see the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and then you hear the voice of the Father booming from heaven and surround sound, saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What do we call that? We call that the Trinity. Our God, and we just sang it, our God is three in one. And what we said after that, we got to lay this down, got to lay some groundwork down. What we said is that, okay, you got three, three in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. How, how do you unpack that? What, what, what does that look like? What evidence from Scripture backs that up? And so I gave you three, I called these three theological bombs, boom, right there, for you to hang your hat on when it comes to the doctrine of this trinity. And that we see all of these throughout scripture. And let me just kind of hit these really quick. I'll, I'll hit them fast. fast. I, I always say I'll hit them fast, but I don't really do that. Um, we, got, we got all day. Um, yeah, come on, one person's happy. Um, two people, all right, thank you. You're making me feel good about myself. Uh, number one is this. Number one is, and hopefully you wrote this down if you didn't, write it down tonight or this morning. That there is, truth number one, there is one God. That we believe in one God. That's what we call monotheism. We don't believe in polytheism. We don't have a lot of guys. No, we have one God. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Even in the very first words of the Bible in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That all the rest of from the very beginning, God is one God, not multiple gods, not a lot of different gods, that's polytheism. No, it's one God created the heavens and the earth. 
You go to the, to the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, uh, picking up in verse 2, it says, uh, it says, Hear, O Israel, uh, no, no, it says, um, I'm sorry, um, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. One God. And I am the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And you shall have, watch this, you shall have no other gods besides me. In other words, students, listen, there's one God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, a famous verse in the Old Testament, it's called the Shema. Shema in Hebrew means to, to hear. And so literally the writer of Deuteronomy, Moses, is saying, hey, hey, listen, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God. And you shall love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So right there, are you tracking with me? Say yes. There's one God, but then truth number two, we said this, yes, there's one God, but this one God exists in three, watch this, three persons. Not, not three modes, meaning this, a lot of people misunderstand this and they think this, that hey, 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 God just kind of changes characters throughout. Like in the Old Testament, he puts on his father hat, he's God the Father in the Old Testament. And then you get to the, to the Gospels, and he puts on his son hat, and he's God the Son, he's Jesus. And then after Jesus goes to heaven, all of a sudden he puts on his spirit hat, and he's God the Spirit. He just kind of changes modes throughout eternity. No, 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 that's what we call modalism. Everybody say modalism. modalism. Matthew Angel in the back, say modalism. 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 Our God is one in three distinct persons and you see this in scripture I, I gave you two yesterday I said Genesis 1 26 you know God refers to himself in a plural pronoun when he goes to make man he says let let us us together let us make man in our own image us the father the son the spirit one of the famous passages in Scripture, Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all the earth and baptize them in the name of the, help me out, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the three distinct persons. And here's where we go. Bomb number one, there's one God. Theological truth number two he exists in three persons. Theological truth number three, each person is fully God. Meaning this. Come on, we had this misunderstanding. Some of y'all taking notes, it makes me happy. I love it. You're learning, you're growing, this is important. Meaning this. It's not that the Father is a third God, the Son is a third God, and the Spirit is a third God, and you put them all together, and then you got God. No, each one is fully God. God the Father is fully God. And we see this throughout Scripture in Ephesians 1, 3. Paul writes, he says, the Father of our God, uh, the, God the Father, uh, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Me meaning, meaning this, that the Father, the Father is fully God. In the Gospel of John, Thomas looks at the risen Jesus, and he looks at Jesus, and he says, Jesus, you are my Lord 
and my, help me out, and my God. Jesus is fully God. God the Father, fully God. God the Son, fully God. And the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about here in just a few moments, the Holy Spirit is fully God. There's a story in the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. They, they, they lied. They didn't bring all their money to the church, and they lied, and they fell over dead. And the reason why they fell over dead is not because they lied to man. It's because they lied to God in Acts chapter 5, verse 4. And so right here, I've got, I've got I think I got a picture of you. It's just kind of a, it's called the Trinity Shield. And it's like, how in the world do you explain this? That each one, you've got one God. God is three in one. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. Each one is distinct. Each one is a person, and each one is fully God. How do you explain that? And I said, you don't. You accept it on faith and what God has revealed to us in Scripture. I said, you enter the word mystery, that our God is a mystery. And if God was small enough for you students to fully understand, he would not be big enough and worthy enough for you to worship him. But God in Scripture and his love and grace has revealed himself to us. And so therefore, I told you this, you write this down, that listen, we believe in the Trinity not because we understand it. No, we believe it because it is revealed to us in Scripture. And my encouragement to you is not to get hung up on, on a lot of these theological things and trying to figure out what you can't understand, but to behold, behold the beauty and the majesty of God and how he has revealed himself to you. That the God who sits on the highest throne is God the Father. The God that people saw with their own eyes 2,000 years ago is God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. The God that we feel moving in our spirit is God the Spirit. God is three in one, one in three. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, the one in the middle, the Son, is the one who died for me. And the one on the end, the Spirit, is the one we're going to talk about here right now, is the one who lives inside of me that is our God that is who come on somebody that is who we worship and so today today before you guys head out of here I don't have a clock going anywhere do I no is that that's really small I can't see it so I'm not going to pay attention to it so, you're like, yeah, I don't want to go do service projects anyway. I want to hear Stephen preach. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Don't flatter yourself. So, so this morning, this morning, we're going to unpack the Holy Spirit. Now, now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. We don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. And in fact, in fact, if, if I can just kind of like generalize this, y'all work with me this morning, it's early. Um, there, there's kind of like two camps, there's two extremes. There, there's a lot of people on one hand over here, they talk way too much about the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, they are all wrapped up, and they have a misconception of what the Holy Spirit is. I mean, for example, I mean, they'll, they'll think, you know, well, well, if the preacher, you know, gets on a roll and he starts alliterating a bunch of stuff and he starts slinging the good sauce out there and all of a sudden Jonathan and Josiah get up here and they play your favorite song and they hit that strum and the lights just kind of flicker just right and all of a sudden the hairs on your arms stand up. You're like, the Holy Spirit is here. I'm like, okay, 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 we could, okay, we'll talk about that. But everything to them is, is spirit this, spirit that, spirit this, spirit this. And they talk way too much about it. On the other hand, you have people like me who grew up a good old Southern Baptist, thank you very much, holla back. <laughs> Never gotten yell screams for a Southern Baptist. Um, but, 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 but we didn't talk about it much. For me, my trinity, so to speak, was, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. It wasn't really the Holy Spirit. We didn't talk much about it. And I knew the Holy Spirit was there. It's kind of like my pituitary gland. I know I have a pituitary gland, but I have no idea what it does. And so I knew it was there, but I had no clue. What in the world does the Holy Spirit even do? What's his role? And so we have this misconception that, okay, maybe, maybe it's the feeling. Maybe it's that electric charge that we get. Maybe it's those warm fuzzies that we feel in worship. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's kind of like the, the conscious. You know, you got your angel and your demon, and, and then the angel's the Holy Spirit, and he's talking to you. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit. Or maybe some of you leaders, you're going to know this. It's like the magic eight ball. You know what I'm talking about? What should I do? You should, what is the Holy Spirit? What's the role? Here's the deal. Write this down. This is big. This is big. This is going to guide us for the rest of our time. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a force. It's not Star Wars, Matthew Angel. Thank you very much. It, 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 it's, 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 it's not an electric charge. The Holy Spirit, write it down, says the Holy Spirit is a person. It's a person who can be grieved. A person who can be rejected. A person who speaks to you. A person, a person who loves and delights in you and a person with emotions. That is who the Holy Spirit is. And what I find significant when I look in Scripture, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, if you want to kind of get there between chapters 14, 15, and 16 this morning. What I find significant is that Jesus, what Jesus, when Jesus talks about the importance of the Holy Spirit, he's literally looking at his disciples and he says, hey, disciples, it is for your good and it's for your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, guess what? The Holy Spirit's not going to come. And so you look at that and you're like, I don't, I don't quite get that. Look what he says right here in, in, in John 16, 7. I'll have it on the screen right here. John 16, 7, Jesus right here, probably the most astounding promises he's ever made. A promise that's really hard for me to wrap my mind around. He says this, John 16, 7, he says, but very truly I tell you, it's for your Good. It's for your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. 
Now, now just, just think if you're the disciples, or just think how amazing it would be if you had Jesus walking around with you and hanging out with you. I mean, you're throwing a party at your house and you run out of Cheetos. What do you do? You go to Jesus and say, Jesus, we're out of Cheetos. Bam, you got 12 baskets full of Cheetos, right? It's amazing. You got a headache. Jesus is like, be healed. Your headache's gone. Your dog dies. Your, Jesus can bring your dog back to life. It's awesome. Lassie's back. Your cat dies. Jesus can help you bury the cat. It's amazing, right? It's awesome. I mean, Jesus is right there. He's right there. You know, very fluffy. It's okay. Cats are demonic anyway. Get rid of it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so, and so you look. You look at Jesus. You know what I'm talking about, Jack. You look at these, you look at these disciples, and Jesus is like, bro, 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 bro. What? Check, check with me. It's for your advantage that I'm leaving. I mean, they've been, they've been tracking with Jesus for three years. Jesus has been their companion, their coach, their mentor, their friend. They, they've seen Jesus do amazing things. And then he looks at this and he says, hey, it's for your advantage. It's for your good that I'm going away. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, if you really, students, you got to get this. If you really understood the Holy Spirit and what he can do, you would prefer the Holy Spirit in you rather than me beside you. It's a difference. And, and, and then consider this. There was something so important about the Holy Spirit that in the, in, in the book of Luke, where Jesus tells his disciples, he's like, listen, listen, it's time to go. Jesus gives him the great commission. They're like, hey, you got to go. You got to tell the world about Jesus. They're all dying. They're going to hell. You got the good news. You got to go, 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 go. But then before you go, here's what you got to do. You got to wait. Wait? What do you mean wait, wait? What am I waiting for? You are waiting, check this, for the Holy Spirit. Luke 24 49 he says behold I'm sending you the promise of my father upon you but here's the deal here's what you got to do you got to stay in the city uh, uh, until you are clothed with the power from on high in other words listen think about it millions of people are dying and going to hell uh, around the globe and you disciples are the ones with the good news that can do something about it but before you go no 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 don't go you got to wait you got to wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't write a sermon. Don't write a book. Don't do anything until, until you are clothed with the Holy Spirit. Meaning that there is something, there's something about this Holy Spirit. There's something significant about the Holy Spirit. The disciples couldn't do anything until they received the Spirit. What was so important about the Holy Spirit, listen, that even the Great Commission could wait, had to wait. See, I think it's time, students, that we really spend some time unpacking the role and the significance of the Spirit in our lives. All throughout the New Testament, in the book of Galatians and Ephesians, Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And you can look at those examples throughout Scripture, but I want to take you to John 14 through 16 because in these three chapters, Jesus records his final words to his disciples. 
He says these words to his disciples. And these are his last words before he's about to go to the cross. And you know, you know the deal that, that, that what you say last is of most importance. Your final words are the most important words you're going to speak. And so Jesus right here, in these three chapters, he gives the disciples his final words. And in these three chapters, he brings up the Holy Spirit no less than 20 times. And so I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some big ideas when it comes to the Holy Spirit. I hope that you'll write these down to show you how essential, how essential the Holy Spirit is. Here we go. Number one, if you're taking notes and you should, write this down. The Holy Spirit, what does he do? Oh, it's so good, y'all. I hope y'all get this. The Holy Spirit makes the presence of God real to us. The Holy Spirit makes the presence of God real to us. I'm going to show you what that looks like. Right here, John 14, John 14, 15, right here, Jesus is talking. Again, these are his last words to the disciples. He's bringing up the Holy Spirit, and this is what he says. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I could preach a whole sermon on that, that if you really love Jesus, you're going to do what he tells you to do, but that's not my job this morning. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you, look at this, another if you got your Bible open, I would circle or underline that word another because it's the Greek word alos, which really means of the same kind. Similar to me, of the same kind as me. In other words, the Holy Spirit is not just a little force. The Holy Spirit is God. Just like Jesus was fully God, the Holy Spirit is fully God. He says, I'm going to give you another helper. I'm going to give you another helper who will be with you forever. Verse 17, let's roll. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him. Why? Why? Why do you know him? For he dwells with you and, come on somebody, and will be in you. We'll say that again. And will be in you. Verse 18, Jesus looks at his disciples. He looks at his disciples and says, hey, 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 boys, boy, I'm going away, but it's okay. It's for your good, but here's the deal. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will be with you in the form of the Holy Spirit, and I will be in you. You see, throughout the Bible, we see that God, our Heavenly Father, who we talked about last night, it was good. Our loving, powerful, wise Heavenly Father, He has always desired and always wanted to be present with His people. All the way from the beginning, in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, He came down every evening and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. In the Exodus account, when he's leading his children out of Egypt, he leads them by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud during the day. He didn't have to do that. He could have sent them a roadmap, but he wanted to be with them. He wanted his presence to be with them. So what did he do? He came down in that form. Eventually, uh, they had the children of Israel.
angel construct him a tabernacle and a temple. And the people would say, our God dwells in the midst of us. In fact, the Israelites even had a name for God. They called him Jehovah Shammah, which means the God who is here. He's with us. The Messiah, when he was born in the New Testament, the angel said, you're going to call his name Emmanuel. Why? Because it means God is with us. And now here in John 14, 18, Jesus said, by the Holy Spirit, now God, whoa, God is going to be closer than ever. He's not going to be God with you. He's not going to be God in the midst of you. He's not going to be God walking with you. No, he's going to be God in you. Oh, do you see that? That he's God, not from afar, not from a distant, not walking alongside you. You have the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, God is now in you, in you, leading and guiding you. Do you see how astounding that is, students? How astounding, how that should blow your mind that, that, that your heavenly Father has not left you as orphans. He's not left you alone. He's not, hey, 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 you try to figure this out on your own. No, 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 no. I'm going to send my helper. I'm going to send my advocate. I'm going to send my counselor. And this God is not going to be far off. He's going to live in you. That's what Paul says. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Do you hear these words, students? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, whom God has given that to you. Honor God with your body. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So you say, Stephen, 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 Stephen. Okay, thinking about that. Okay, the Holy Spirit is now in me. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Is your experience with Christianity, follow this question, students. Is your experience with Christianity an experience with the presence of a real person? I'm going to ask that again. I'm going to ask that again. Because Christianity is not so much about you learning stuff from a book, even though, yes, we want you in the Word. It's not so much about doing this and stop doing this. It's not about, it's not about behavior modification. But Christianity, at its core, is you following a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. And so how would that change your view of Christianity? How would that change your relationship with God if you saw his presence with you as real as a person? The Holy Spirit, not a force, not an it, not a charge. No, it's a person who is with you and in you and speaking to you and guiding you and counseling you and loving you and convicting you. It's a person. It's not a force, it's a person. And God says, listen to this, God says, I'm going to be with you in the form of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, just as real as Jesus was with his disciples 2,000 years ago. Is your experience, do you see that as you walking and talking 
and building that relationship with a person. Let me give you, let me just kind of break this down. Just to kind of help you see this, because the Holy Spirit brings alive the presence of God in our lives, makes it alive. Let me just kind of give you a couple of things, a couple of the roles. These are some, some footnotes right here. Some roles of the Holy Spirit. Number one is this. Write this down, and we see this throughout Scripture. Number one, the Holy Spirit will counsel you. It's how he brings God's presence alive. When you don't know which way to go, you can pray. And he, not a force, not a feeling, but a person will direct your path. He is your counsel. We see this in John 16. John 16 verse 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. That he'll guide you. You don't know what to do, so you just start praying, and the Holy Spirit can give you direction. He can give you wisdom. He can give you discernment. It's not walking by sight, but it's walking by faith that the Holy Spirit is with you, in you, guiding you. He is your counselor. You see, the presence of the Holy Spirit will counsel you. He'll make God's presence alive in you. Number two, he will comfort you. How would your Christianity change, students, if you understood that when you walk, and I know some of you right now, you are doing this right now, when you walk through the valley of darkness, the Holy Spirit was the one bringing the promise of Scripture to mind to comfort your heart, to be your comfort. He's not just jogging your memory. He's bringing these Scriptures to life. These weren't merely just truths that you're remembering, but a person who was speaking to you. A person is speaking to you. You see, this is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And what amazes me is there are those of you, and I know this, I know this, I know this. There are those of you in this very room. I was praying with somebody right before I was started preaching. There are those of you going through things that are very difficult right now. And I can promise that many of you at this moment will sense, because the Holy Spirit is here, you will sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. And even though you are hurting, he can be your comfort. He can comfort you. Hey, 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 it's for your good that I'm leaving. Because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit's not going to come. And when the Holy Spirit's here, he's going to guide you. He's a person. He'll speak to you. He'll comfort you. He'll bring verses. He will illuminate God's word in your heart. He will counsel. He will comfort. Let me give you another one. Let me give you another one. He will convict you. Not condemn you. But he will convict you to bring you back. What would happen? Students, lean into this. Lean into this. What would happen if you understood that feeling of conviction when you are about to sin is not simply your conscience, but what you are hearing is actually his voice. I'm going to say that again because somebody over here needs to hear this. How would it change that when you're about to sin, it's not your conscience, no, but it's the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting you. 
Even right here, even right here now, there are those of you, you're being convicted by the Spirit of God. There may be something in your life that's not as it should be, and all of a sudden you're feeling this sense of, oh my gosh, I shouldn't do that. I need to repent. And I'm not even mentioned a sin. Why, why are you being convicted? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit convicting you right here in this moment. It's a person, y'all. It's a person. You see, sinning is not so much breaking God's law. It's grieving a person. And the person of the Holy Spirit is looking at you and saying, hey, don't walk away from me. Don't go that way. Don't grieve me. Don't reject me. Follow me because I'm a person and I love you and I delight in you and I know what's best for you. Some of you last night, last night, last night, last night, last night, you were here. You're not much of a church person. Maybe you don't even own a Bible. But last night when we were having this time at the altar, maybe you felt something drawing you to God. And you're like, what is that? What was that? That was the Holy Spirit convicting you of your need for Jesus. That you need to give your life to him. Well, that was the Holy Spirit convicting you that, hey, hey, you're walking in sin right now, and you're grieving me. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm a person who can be grieved. Don't reject me. Don't walk away from me. Follow, follow me. The Holy Spirit's not an it, not a force. It's a person, and he reveals your need for a Savior. He makes the presence of God come alive in us. Let me show you number four, number four, number four. I got to roll. Number four. All students, get this. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. (laughs) Number four. He reminds you the assurance that you, students, if you are in Christ, leaders, if you are in Christ, if you're a believer, If if, if you said, Jesus, save me, I want to be in the family. He reminds you that you are his child. He gives you that assurance that you belong to him. And he makes that presence of God come alive in your heart. The verse that you need to to write down and and you need to know is Romans 5.5. Romans 5, 5, Paul says this. He says, he says, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been, look at this, poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Literally, 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 that word poured out, literally, it's flooded that the, that the Holy Spirit has flooded your heart and your heart and your heart with the love of God that's been given to us by the Father. He poured it so that you feel it, that you experience it, that, that you live in that. He brings that presence to life. One of the best examples that I can, that I can think about this, I told you uh, 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 last, last night that I've got, I've got five children, I've got four boys, and, and then on the end I've got my sweet Sophia uh, she, she's my favorite out of all of them. I'm just saying, you know, uh, your parents got favorites too, okay? Um, but she's my favorite. And, and, and we can be walking along, we can be walking along, and, and, and she's two, almost three, uh, and we'll hold hands and we'll walk along. 
Uh, and, and in that moment right there, in that moment, think about this. In that moment, she's my daughter, right? Legally speaking, she's my girl. She's my daughter, okay? But then there are times where we're just kind of walking along, and I'll look down with her. I'll look down at her, and I'll just kind of swell up with this fatherly pride and affection. I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's so cute, and I just love her. And so what I'll do, what I'll do, what I'll do is in that moment, you know, she's my daughter, but I'll pick her up. And, and, and I'll throw her up in the air. I'll catch her. I'll throw her up in the air and bring her down right here. And she'll be like, oh, daddy. Uh, I'll put my, and I'll, I'll hug her and I'll kiss her. I'll kiss on her. I'll tickle her. She's like, daddy, 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 daddy. And, it's, and, we, just, and we just have a moment right there. We just have a moment together. Now, now question, question, question. Think about this. Think about this. Now, she's my daughter. Is she any more my daughter in that moment than when she was before that moment? No, no, absolutely not. Her legal status has not changed at all. She's my daughter before that moment, after that moment, and during that moment. What's changed is she feels my love for her. She feels like she's my daughter. She feels my love for her. She's experiencing that love that I have for her. That is the role of the Holy Spirit as he floods your heart with the love of God, he wants you to feel it. He wants you to experience it. He wants you to walk in it. And then out of that love, out of that love, you, 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 you have the assurance that you are a child of God. That's what Romans 8 says, that out of our spirit, our spirit cries out, Abba, Father, Dad, that I've got a dad. And it makes you understand. It makes you feel. Feel the love that the Father has for you. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. To make you feel it. Do you see? Do you see how important that is? That when he makes, when he makes that come alive in you. See, 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 Christianity, I got to, oh, oh. Okay, I got so much more to, okay, let me just, let me, let me just let me, let me give you that cliff notes, okay? John 15, 5, write this one down. So we've got it, we've got it messed up, y'all. John 15, 5, John 15, 5 says, hey, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now check this, I'm about to land the plane. Whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Students, you got to get this. You got to get this. See, another role of the Holy Spirit is to make the power of God come alive in you. And I know for a lot of you, I know when I was a teenager, man, I'm trying everything I can to live a victorious Christian life. And what I was taught, and maybe you are too, that in order to live a victorious Christian life, I got to do a bunch of stuff. I got to add a bunch of stuff. You see this right here, what Jesus is talking about, there's a difference between mechanical growth and organic growth. 
Mechanical growth is, hey, that's how I build a, a building. I stack bricks. I build, I build, I build, I build. I do this, I do this, I do this. And for a lot of you, you think Christianity is about, hey, start doing a bunch of stuff and stop doing a bunch of stuff. Add this, do this, do this Bible study, listen to Christian music, uh, uh, come to students, do, 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 do this. I got to do all this stuff. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but you're thinking, hey, for me to live victoriously, here's what I got to do. I got to do a bunch of things. What does Jesus say right here when it comes to the role of the Holy Spirit in John 15? What's the secret? What's the secret? It's not mechanical growth. It's organic growth. I have to abide in him. See, organic growth is I deposit the seed in the water and the sunshine comes and it produces a tree or a bush or a fruit. When it comes to you, students, listen to me, listen to me. If you have the gospel, if you've got Jesus the gospel has been deposited in your heart. And now, as you remain in Jesus, as you abide in him, as you make your home in the gospel, as you remind yourself how deep and wide and, 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 and long and, and far is the love of God, the fullness of God will develop in you. The Spirit will come. And it's not anything you're doing. It's everything oh, that God is doing in you. He's working it through you. See, for a lot of you, you think, hey, it's me. It's me. I got to go do a bunch of stuff for Jesus. I got to do this and I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do that. Or, or you, think, you think it's you and Jesus. It's like a wrestling match. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrestle the devil right here because I know all y'all watch wrestling. I'm going to get him down on the mat. But then, but then if I get weak, what do I do? I got to tag out Jesus. And Jesus will come down with the Roman roads and do all this stuff. It's going to be amazing. And he's, he's, he's going to take, take the devil out. And then when I get rested up, then, then he's going to tag me back in. And I want to go, no, 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 no. That's you and Jesus. The secret the secret of the Christian life is not you doing a bunch of stuff for Jesus. It's not you and Jesus. It's Jesus in you. The hope of glory. That's the secret. You see, some of you have been trying. You need to rest and you need to abide in the love that Jesus has for you and allow him to change you from the in side out let me give you one more thing one more thing one more thing i know i'm over time one more thing the spirit what does he do he makes the presence of god real to us he makes the power of god come alive in us and then finally what you're about to do what you're about to do number three the Holy Spirit empowers us for ministry. Empowers us for ministry. I love John, John 14, 12. It says this, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. But not just that. Wait, 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 look at that. And Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. 
And, and, and you look at that and you're like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Greater works? Greater works than Jesus? Anybody raise the dead? Anybody heal the sick on your way to church? You know, this one you stop by and feed 5,000 people. Anybody do that? No, I was like, what, what are you talking about? Greater. What Jesus is getting at, listen to me, listen to me, students. And this is where, this is where we become world changers. Jesus is talking about a greater range in their impact. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, the Holy Spirit's power was focused on his ministry, on one individual, on one guy in one place. And now, students, listen, now the Holy Spirit is in every believer. And the collective impact, he said, of ordinary Christians filled with the Spirit would be greater than even if he himself stayed. You see, our impact, our impact on Brandon and Apollo and West Central Florida is greater. Why? Because if you're in Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got, and the collective impact that we can make in this world is greater than if Jesus was our senior pastor. Because you have the Holy Spirit. The very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is available to every believer. He will fill you. He will direct you. He will comfort you. He will guide you. He will counsel you. He will convict you. He will empower you. And he is available for you today. You say, Stephen, <clears throat> what do I do? What's the takeaway from this? The Holy Spirit, he makes alive the presence of God in you. He makes God's power come alive for you. He equips you for ministry. And so here's what I would say, students. Here's what I would say. When you meet with God every day, you realize that you're meeting with a person. A person who loves you, a person who delights in you, a person who wants to counsel you, a person who wants to guide you, a person who wants to convict you, a person who wants to help you, a person who wants to comfort you. That is the work of the Holy A person who wants to remind you that you're in Christ, that you have dad as your father who loves you, who's loving and kind and powerful and wise. All, all these things the Holy Spirit wants to bring that to life in you. And then, and then, and then, here's your takeaway, here's your takeaway. I meet with a person, meet with a person, so therefore, here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. When you meet with this person, this is huge, you got to get this, write this down. When you meet with this person, you posture yourself in prayer to listen for his voice. You see, prayer, prayer should just be a one way. Where I go to God and, and I give him a list of all my calories, what I need him to know. Prayer should be a dialogue because prayer is about a relationship. And so when you pray, you need to give time for the Holy Spirit to speak to you because that's one of his roles, 
to speak to you and to lead you and to guide you. There's a great story in the Old Testament, in the book of Samuel, where Samuel was working for Eli, the high priest. And, and one night, one night, Samuel went to bed, and all of a sudden he heard this voice, and automatically he just thought it was the voice of Eli. And so he goes in there, he says, Eli, Eli, what, what do you need, what do you need? And Eli's like, I wasn't speaking to you. I wasn't talking, go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. He hears the voice again. And so what does he do? He, he's like, well, I'm hearing this voice, that's got to be Eli. So he goes in there, he says, Eli, what do you need, what do you want? And Eli's like, no, no, it's not me, it happens. Like, so finally Eli realizes, no, no, no. It's the voice of God. It's the Spirit speaking to him. And he said, hey, when you hear it again, hear it again, here's what you do. You say, you say, you say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Maybe, maybe in your time with the Lord, and you realize I'm not meeting just with a book. I'm not just trying to master a bunch of facts and figures. No, I'm meeting with a person, a real person. I'm sitting down with a person. And you say, speak, speak, speak. I'm listening. I'm here. I'm available. I'm surrendered. Your servant is listening. In the quietness of this moment, we're going to do that right now. So close your Bibles, close your notebooks. Because the Holy Spirit is here. And for some of you, he's convicting you of sin. For some of you, he's drawing you to himself and salvation. For some of you, you just need to be comforted. You need to be comforted. You're going through a crap right now in your life, and you need his comfort. Others of you, you've got decisions to make. You need his wisdom. You need his discernment. You need his counsel. For others of you, you just need to be reminded, Romans 5, 5, allow his love to flood into your heart and remind you that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High King. So right now, in just a moment, I don't know how long it's going to last, but in your heart of hearts, students, you pray to the second person in the Trinity, God the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, and you say right here, right now, Holy Spirit, speak. Your servant is listening. And just be quiet and allow him to speak to you. So, Father, right now, in the quietness of this moment, we are asking for you to speak. Your servants are listening. We are surrendered. We love you. So speak. Convict us. Draw us. Counsel us, comfort us, remind us of who we are, and you speak.